Hello and welcome to the Comedians Outly podcast. I'm Nick Anthony and for this episode I'm joined by a good comedy friend of mine, Jason Stamp. He's an absolute private comedian. He runs an awesome comedy club called The Big Deal Comedy and he's just one of those people that is amazing with the audience. He had his, some fantastic material that he writes. He's just a brilliant comedian. He's just one of those people that's so comfortable on stage and just like to have a conversation with, with the audience. And yeah, I, I absolutely love the guy and I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. So without further ado, I bring you Jason Stamp. Firstly, Jason, how did you first get into comedy? I got into comedy, um, I was never a massive fan of it really I watched bits and bobs like everybody else like you know Lee Evans DVD every Christmas was a big thing in our house and stuff like that so nothing that people would say was sort of cutting edge comedy um, then I was I think I don't know if you how, I don't know how old you are how old are you 27 so probably young, it used to be a thing called They Think It's All Over on BBC One it was like a sports panel show and there was a guy on that who was a regular called Lee Hurst who was a comedian yeah, um, I know, who I know people who know now because he started to be a bit controversial at times. <laughs> but at the time, he was just a really good stand-on. I got given um, one of his videos when you know he used to perform at the backyard club, which he now owns, and uh, and that was kind of my first time watching sort of what you'd see, say was sort of proper stand-up as opposed to Lee Evans, who was all energy and faces and voices yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. So anyway, yeah, like I so said, I hadn't been a huge comedy buff but I just I, I suppose I was kind of the funny guy in the pub with my mates and things like that and someone just said to me one day we're having a quiet day at work and he's like oh, have you ever thought about doing it and I was like not really I said probably like, yeah I'd give it a go and then he's a bit got one of those kind of can do attitudes whereas I'm just like I'd have been comfortable going yeah I probably would be amazing at that and then just never do it but he was <laughs> like let's book let's book and we'll go to London and we'll do an open mic and then by the Tuesday I think we were in this was Sunday and by the Tuesday we were in London at this place in um in King's Cross doing an open mic so um, yeah it just happened really quickly really and then I think most people will find out the minute you've been on stage you then find out whether you want to go back or not you find out when you're yeah, on there in yeah. my opinion like, I've and seen, it went well did it for you then oh no no it was horrible horrible <laughs> I was terrible absolutely terrible I went, it sounds like this I know how ludicrous it sounds but on the way up there I was kind of like don't uh, a mate of mine goes tell us one of your jokes and I was like well, I haven't read any jokes like, I'll just go on stage and I'll just riff off the audience and I'll be amazing they'll carry me out on their shoulders like a star is born kind of thing and he was like right yeah well good luck with that and I, <laughs> well we got to this thing it was called it still runs now in a different venue but it's called the Lion's Den in London and um, it used to be in this little basement um in this place that I mean the pub looked like a riverboat but it was on the street it was out of grotty and down in the basement it was like black walls there was like a devil painted on the wall that had you know boobs and stuff it was mental like it looked like there'd be <laughs> dog fights and stuff down there other nights of the week it looked crazy um, it was like something out of hostel but it's <laughs> but they had this um, nice little community of open mic um, people that would go down there so like everyone knew each other and when we went down there there was uh, I got there and they, they used to do you pull your name out of a hat so there was no running order it was just first come first serve you paid to play which meant you paid to go in whether you were performing or not <clears throat> um, and we got there and it was the last ever gig they were having there because uh, they were right. having a move venue so it was really packed and and um, I kind of had to beg to get a spot and give them this big build I'll be, I'll be I'm from, come all over Cambridge I'm amazing and and then went on stage and it was horrible. Yeah, and no, I was terrible. Well, I got on stage and went the way the lights were is you couldn't see any of the audience. Now, I'm not saying I would have actually had the skill set to deal with it the way I thought I would anyway, but I couldn't see anyone, so that just made it work. I made up a couple of jokes about what the room looked like and stuff like that and got a few little polite laughs. And then 
um, said some horrific stuff because I was really into like Frankie Boyle at the time and then that got a few looks <laughs> and then <laughs> I kind of just was like ah right, thanks for your time and I kind of left and then I always remember I was walking and so I looked over and my friend Dave was stood there with his camera phone up and I was like oh god I'm gonna have to hear about this at work that was awful and then another act who, I'd love to know who this guy was but uh, like looking back but when I walked off he just sort of patted me on the shoulder almost like it's gonna be alright mate <laughs> and then it, it was terrible um, as if as if you've like died on your ass every day. I had, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was horrible. I remember being outside afterwards, though, and there was a guy on um, who'd been on before me, and he was incredible. And um, I remember talking to him, and I, you know, I asked him how many gigs he'd done, and he'd done like sixty in a month or something because he lived in London, so he could just bounce around all yeah, the day. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And then he asked me how many I'd done, and I said, well, that was my first one. And he said, look, I'm not going to patronise you and say your material is good, but you look really comfortable. And I thought, yeah. well, I can work that's, on everything that's good else. Enough. Yeah, and then like 20 minutes later, I was kind of like, you know, not that they would have let me back on stage, but I was kind of like, I wanted to do it again. And yeah. I think... Usually I, in that situation, you're, you know, you've, you, people have dynamite material, but they have no fucking way of like um, delivering it. Yeah, yeah, I think that is the hard part. I mean, you know, I see it now, obviously we run the new act, new material night at Novi once a month and not saying I hadn't been doing many of those nights, but the last sort of three to six months I've been doing more of those nights trying to build the, the, the hour show up and... Um, you do sit more like it's so the most exciting time in comedy is when you start because you've got all these ideas you don't know what works you don't know what people are going to find funny you don't yeah. know whether you, even if it will sound right with you saying a certain thing like because yeah. you know all these things develop over time so it's the most exciting thing is that you know you meet a new comedian and like, <clears throat> or, or somebody wants to start comedy and they're like I've got two hours of material it's like you haven't got two hours of material you've got two hours of ideas now what will actually happen when you whittle that down is that you're probably going to have four minutes yeah if you're like, and if you've got four minutes you left out, waffle that, out. Yeah. yeah if you've got a decent four minutes five minutes after that start high-fiving people on the way out because that's a good start you know and then just then the other mistake is they want to do a new five minutes every time they go out it's actually get that five minutes right yeah do that five yeah, minutes yeah. get it really good but everyone does the same mistakes i think when you start because it's so exciting and you've got every idea is a possibility <clears> and it's um and it's great and then it's just working out like you said um i think you can listen to some comedians uh some new comedians and you're like i don't know where you thought the punchline was there like even if i wrote that down i'm not sure where where you thought yeah. that bit yeah. kicked in um because obviously delivery is everything timing and and all the rest of it, but even if you take those things out of it, normally if you looked on a bit of paper with someone's material, you could kind of go, oh, I kind of get where it's supposed to be funny. But like, yeah. um, and I think that's the bit to work out, but that's what takes the longest, I suppose. You know, you listen to stuff from all the all the big acts, the pros, and they say, you know, it could take 10 years to find your voice and, um, and that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, there's got to be an element of truth to that with how long you're doing it, how much you're gigging and... Um, and at least settle into a style like now I'm very happy with the, with what I do. Now it yeah. doesn't mean I'm going to take the roof off every time I do a gig. It doesn't mean I'm going to do the biggest gigs in the world. It just means when I go on stage and I'm saying what I want to say. And that works more times than it doesn't. And then you develop on that and then you try and tighten it up. So everything you say works and that's where you want to get to, you know. But, yeah. you know, there's acts. I've been going on and off for about nine years now. I've taken it seriously probably. I always emceed. I probably did that more than anything else. Mm. So how... Um, so tell me about the the shift between going from one-liners to st- telling stories. I found it quite. I was just getting bored with it, to be honest, because I did um, the one-liner. You know, it wasn't like Jimmy Carr. You know, it, those kind of one-liners. In my head, there was a narrative. Like it didn't just. I wasn't doing a joke about a penguin then about a footstool. Like it was sort of. A, it would all have sort of a narrative th- to me, so I knew kind of where I was going with it. Um, I did my first hour at Brighton Fringe with 
um, with one-liners and that was kind of like, can I talk for an hour as opposed to um, actually having a show, so to speak. It was like, can I do an hour's worth of material, which, you know, I probably had about 40 minutes, probably 20 minutes of that was good. Um, if that, I'm probably being very forgiven on myself, not having it recorded to watch back. If I watch yeah. back, I'd probably be in bits like, oh God, I can't believe that. But um, yeah, and I'd been going a few years and I, I won the gong show at the comedy store. So then I got put on... Then you get a spot on a Thursday, which is a five. So I went down and did that. They liked that. So then they asked me to go back and do Saturdays. And kind of, I was doing all these really nice places and I was just kind of really bored doing it. I didn't like the material. And then obviously, when you don't like a joke you're telling anymore, it starts getting less and less because like, it doesn't matter how you perform it. People can just tell. Yeah, you're you're sort of phoning it in. And then um, I had a conversation with my partner at a time and she said, you know, if you want to just change it, change it, just do it. And I was like, well, I think every time I tried to tell a story before, I think it was always coming across as an observation. So I was saying, oh, isn't it funny when? And, you know, nobody thought it was. Whereas if I walked in, if I told the story about me being in that scenario, all of a sudden it became a bit funnier. Okay. Then I worked on it, but it took me a long time to figure that out. I'd say... I scrapped all the one-liners. I kept a couple here and there, obviously, and there's still bits you chuck out now if I'm emceeing and you just need a quick boost in the room or whatever. But at that point, I used to have an opener, which always worked, but it was a quick line. So what would happen was I'd do that and then I'd rush everything else. Okay. Because I'd got a quick laugh. I was like, right now... Writing up expect- some other stuff. Yeah. yeah, now they're expecting to laugh every 30 seconds, but I'm going to tell a story. It just seems like I had one good joke and now I've run out of stuff to talk right, about. Right, I see. So the hardest thing was dropping that joke because it worked everywhere. And I dropped that joke just to kind of write, I'll just amble into it now, sort of trust myself in that I can get to a punchline that's good enough and then they'll trust me again, the audience, I mean. Um, but I'd say it took sort of six six months to even get to a point where I was quite fairly comfortable doing the stories and then beyond that and that's just how i've been for the last few years now so um so you did story you did i'm um, sorry yeah one line is for quite a while then yeah yeah I, I mean again like i say when i did it quite a while I, I wasn't doing it that much you know if i could do three four gigs a month that was great because obviously okay. you know work kids and even the money of getting to gigs and back and forth and obviously it doesn't pay to start with no. if you're lucky it'll break even so it's quite a big idea to do and then because i was running gigs as well i was emceeing all of those so i felt like i was getting stage time but because I kind of was quick enough to talk to people in the audience and make it sort of relatively funny, um, I didn't need to, I didn't feel the need, or I just didn't have the time and I didn't have the desire to kind of work on the material the way I because I kind of wasn't, didn't enjoy doing the one-liners. So like, I right. just sort of hid behind MCM for a while where you can kind of get away with it if you've got a bit about you. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, if I look back now, they probably would have been awful gigs, but everyone seemed to have a nice time at the time. But looking back, <laughs> you'd know you could do better now, but... I had enough to get away with it. But yeah, I did one-liners for ages, really. And like I say, it's only been probably the last year, maybe 18 months, I've been taking everything a bit more seriously and kind of really was like, right, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do this. So, you know, um, and kind of, you know, set out to do what I want to do. Yeah, so, and with with the stories, how did how much did your construction of jokes and engineering of jokes change when you did the stories? Did you just add words in between the one-liners or...? Initially you do. Initially there's a lot of, um, I think there's just a lot of space and a lot of unnecessary stuff in there, but you're just dragging out what was probably, actually if you broke it down and looked at what the punchline was, it was probably still a one-liner. You just turned it into a long, drawn-out story, which it didn't need to be, I think. And then, because for years I didn't watch any stand-up at all after I started, because I was worried that I'd come up with a joke and then be like, have I heard that somewhere? Because that seems too easy. Do you know what I mean? I was worried that it'd sort of get in my head and unintentionally you'd sort of follow somebody else's tangent on a joke 
Um, so when I was a bit more comfortable with what I was doing, I started watching a bit of stand-up again. And, you you know, you watch some of the great American acts in particular, like there's no flab in the joke. Like you watch Bill Burr or even, you know, just lately a bit more commercial, but watching some, a lot of old Kevin Hart stuff and things like yeah. that. Although he seems like he's all noise and jumping around, like everything builds to what's coming next. You know, it's nothing yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. in there's throwaway. And if the fact that it looks like that, I think a lot of the time with all of them, I think that's that's the way you disguise it, you know. So um yeah, I think more I think about it more now and probably for the last year than I ever had before. Like, what well, do I need to say that? Because my problem is I'll I'll never write out a joke fully formed. I'll just put bullet points. I know roughly where I want to go with yeah, the story. Okay. And then I'll just kind of wing it on stage. So first few times is probably rough. There's probably jokes now that I use that do all right that I could probably make a lot better. But I can't. I just every time I've sat down and written anything out fully formed, it's just stopped being funny. I don't I know see, why. Yeah. I've just killed it. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, I I find that um, I, it depends what you're trying to do with when you're writing it. I think if you're trying to write something to remember something, like yeah. to remember how you're going to talk about it or how, which which swing you want to go with it or sometimes sometimes words are really, the type of words or the words you use are really important like yeah like a bullet point like there might be a little uh storyline in my head but you know anybody else looking at that bit of paper just like three random words but i yeah. know that right i'm going from this word that's got to be said in there because that means something or it's, or it's a funny word or it just ties it all together and then yeah. a bit at the end and then everything else is just sort of a gray area i can play in as i'm as i'm going with it um i think the other thing is that i've never been too worried about having everything completely memorized in that because because no. I emceed from the beginning really the second gig I ever did was emceeing our own in front of all our friends and family and I still hadn't written a joke really so just by pure ignorance and um, <laughs> ego do you know what I mean I just got into a point where it, same with now if someone shouts out something when I'm on stage it doesn't bother me if I've left that bit of material I'll go and deal with that have a laugh with that then come back and just do something else doesn't bother. whereas I saw some people that were when I started in particular very very good comedians really good stuff but it was all very monologue very memorised and then the minute anything happened in the room they were just totally derailed they didn't know how to get back to it because, yeah exactly yeah um, yeah because of how they remembered it you know yeah. they had to go from one point A to point B and there was no deviation whereas if it happened it just ruined their night <laughs> <laughs> yeah it happens I mean I, it happened to me um, I, I think you're at the same gig when um, we had one side of the room were rowdy because they were all um, gay, gay, gay friends and then the other side were very oh, polite was this, Cambridge um, audience yeah, well, you, you headlined it didn't you yeah, <laughs> I say headlined I mean I turned up drunk and just ranted for the first five <laughs> yeah. minutes but yeah there but that's one particular person that was, was um, really giving you some um, yeah yeah I yeah. think it was the same person that came out well during halfway through my set I was running off something about um I was doing about you know recording the set and all that sort of stuff and yeah. and, and I, was, I was just leading to the punchline, just getting there, right? And someone comes out of the toilet because the toilet's behind the yeah, stage. Yeah, it's, it's a weird setup. And so they we can't out. put it anywhere else, but it is weird. And then they and then they just shouted out like, um, "I've just had a pregnancy test. I'm not pregnancy. I'm pregnant." <laughs> so I, I I bolted off and I ran down that route and I said, "Okay, I I was done a pregnancy test. Talking about pregnancy, my my missus and all that." And then gave the punchline. Yeah. to the previous bit that I was talking about they completely forgotten <laughs> yeah, everything that, that I've said um, and then just gave the punchline what was there I got an absolutely no laugh of the bit I wanted to last for but then but then I got a laugh of going back to the recording and say well um, um, for the benefit of the recording that was a punchline even if the last don't reflect it but that, I mean that gig's a perfect description of what these like the small local gigs are like because you know they've decided to turn up if they're they're out in a in force then you're just 
in front of them like you're, they're not there to listen to you so much so no. the first five minutes of mine was a bit of crowd control and stuff like my friend <laughs> my friend came with me and he just said to me he's like first five minutes absolute car crash which was amazing and then by the by you know the, the rest of it was fine and I was well, like you, yeah. you, you did you finally got back to like your set and you just delivered your set as if that, nothing had happened that's all you can do really the yeah. first, like I say you can either sack it off and go right this whole night's a write off or you can just let it play out and it is a bit <laughs> like riding it out and you know that like there was a woman who wanted to come up and do that limerick and she kept uh, pestering the promoter about it before I went I said she's not going to shut up so just come on stage get it out of the way no one will laugh you'll realise you're stupid and I sit down like that <laughs> you know what I mean and then yeah. all the other people were there and then but the thing is I think the funny thing was because obviously um, I plugged my uh, my Cambridge Fringe show at the end of it six people from that night booked tickets for my show really <laughs> like, so, <laughs> so that first five minutes doesn't didn't matter because I was just letting it play out letting them, it's a bit like letting a classroom settle is, down the only concern is, is if they think that that is in your set and they're going to be expecting that on the oh, right. well they were laughing quite a bit with the actual material so if they'd have been silent through that but only like the shouting I think like the uh, yeah the, I'd be a bit more worried but um and the thing is, the other thing from that is, we used to have the early doors around sort of Cambridge when I was running bits around here. Yeah. People knew I was quite brutal with hecklers. I would just destroy them because I didn't like, I felt really offended that they were shout, like, shouting something out and then I'd probably go too hard on them. Yeah, and then yeah, actually yeah. you got other people then scared to make any noise. Well, you want people to be interactive and don't want to go old school and just bully someone who's been a bit of a dick. <laughs> like, so... Um, but early doors, I think people were kind of known. Like I kind of got a bit known for don't don't, don't echo them. Like you know what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, like, so then it became a bit boring. Like because then, <laughs> yeah, you kind of want a bit. Like I like the bits where it goes off and you don't know what's going to happen. They're the nights you talk about. You might not get great material out of it because you know it's always a bit. Um, I'm not a massive fan of that. You'll never guess what happened at this gig the other night because yeah, it's just yeah. not as funny in another room. Like, you'll get a laugh, but on the night, it would have t- probably took the roof off. Like, Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, it's just like when you re- read a room and you do a bit of someone else's set or a bit of something that's happened in the in the room. So you do, and it's tight in. Maybe never be able to do that again, but it worked for that night, and it was oh, yeah, a good laugh. Those ones are the best, and, beca- and I think the thing is the crowd reward you more for being... They know it's on the fly. Like, yeah, yeah. As an MC, you'll probably get... If you do it right, there's that old thing where people will come up and go, oh, you should, you should give comedy a go. Like, yeah, when you've exactly, emceed. Because yeah. they just don't think it's the same thing. And I used to get really offended by that, but I'd had it get happening a fair bit lately where someone... Well, someone waited for me behind uh, after the Novi gig where I emceed there. And um, she'd obviously waited ages to talk to me because there was a few people there. And then when I walked out, she went, I just wanted to say, I think you're just as talented as everybody else and I think you should really give it a go. <laughs> and I was like... And now, actually, I take it as a massive compliment because if it looked that effortless, then I'm doing something right. If you yeah, had a good true. time, you thought I was funny and it didn't look like I was trying too hard, like, then actually it must be pretty good. So I just thanked her, uh, pointed her in the direction of the yeah. show, maybe come see that. But yeah, early doors, I'm like, oh, I'm a, I'm a comedian. And it's yeah. like, well, I wasn't. I was a retail manager who did it at the weekends. So it's, it's like saying you cook your own dinner, so you're a chef. It's not the same thing, is no, it? Exactly, but like, yeah. you're just having a go. But yeah, early doors, you just get really offended. But um, it's such a common thing. I heard... I think it was Phil Jupiter's talking and he said he used to do the comedy store as the MC in the 80s and all that and people would come up to him and the same thing so, <laughs> so just that like so maybe is, it's yeah. a sign you're doing it pretty well if no I mean I suppose the other problem is that no one wants to talk to you after their gig you've probably not done that much like, it's, like, <laughs> it's a gift and a curse <laughs> yeah depends what they say really I mean someone comes up to you and says oh, it wasn't that bad I wouldn't mind if someone came over and they really didn't like my eye, I did this um it was a gig I did a uh, favour for a mate it was a conservative club in like Royston and I mean that give you an idea the kind of people were there 
And it turned out like there was a quiz night going on, and in the break while they totted up scores, they wanted me to go and do like twenty minutes of stand up. Went out there, people were just they clearly just wanted to be there for the quiz night. A couple of people were rude, so then I just dismantled the room for twenty minutes and I had the time of my life. It was brilliant. Like, I just had a great time. So there was a real mix. Like half of the room were absolutely howling, the other half just didn't want me there. They hated it. <laughs> and then when I came off stage, it was it was quite fun. Like I say, a lot of people coming over going, that was brilliant. Like they really liked the brutal side of it. It was kind of playful but brutal at the same time. And then um this woman just came out. She, you do know this is a conservative club, don't you? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> She's like, well, that's not the kind of... I was like, don't book me then. You book me. Like, yeah, it's yeah, not exactly, my problem. Yeah. Do your homework. If you don't want me here, if you want someone to come and play a banjo on stage, you're like, that's not me. Like, you should have done your homework. It's not me. No, where's my money? I'm out of it. But the... Um, there was a funny boy. This guy who's about 40 comes over and he's talking to me and he's telling me about his favourite comedians. He really enjoyed that. Oh, it reminds him of this. Reminds him of... While his dad, who must have been 70, was like, Michael, come here now. Do not talk to that man. And I was like, it just took me back to school. I was like, oh my God, I'm the naughty guy. His, his son's not allowed to talk to him. We're both nearly 40. It's did, you get, did you get paid for that one? Uh, I can't remember with that one. It might have been uh, Charity Fever. I remember I was doing it for a favour for a mate, but yeah, all I remember was the uh, the talking to I got afterwards, which is quite funny. But if someone comes up, comes up to you and they say something constructive, like... Because everyone knows it's different. I, I'm a promoter and I'll have four or five different acts on it a night. I might not like their comedy, but I no. No, I can know it, that it will work. So That's it might true. not be my cup of tea, but I'd never not book someone because I didn't like their comedy if I know it works in a room. Well, it's subjective, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I think you get a lot of promoters that are like, right, I'll book the five people I like. And I like, yeah. well, you're just shortchanging your audience because they're not paying for your recommendation. They're paying for no, a, exactly. a varied lineup, you know. Every lineup you're probably going to have people that will say um, oh that one person didn't do so well did they and you think well you know in your mind no but someone else would be walking out saying they were brilliant so you're not probably yeah, going mean, to like I've, all four or five acts every night I've seen I've seen pros that get booked headlines up and down the country go yeah. to a gig in a place and absolutely die in their ass but they're everywhere else that same 20 minute 30 minute set is killing it yeah, yeah, I, I had it with, um, not to drop it in again, but the um, I remember doing uh, my first Saturday at the comedy store. It was like the late show and it's packed and there's really cool acts there and you're like really buzzing to be there. Did that. Um, I mean, it was a great gig, but like they've got a brilliant MC, they've got a brilliant opener, they've got brilliant lighting, yeah. stage, seat, even the seats are comfortable. Everything about it is set up for you to have a good gig. So as long as you don't go on there and, do bullshit <laughs> like, so you go up there and, and it was a lovely lovely gig like I would have played a small part in that being a great gig but that's just how it is yeah? next day I was at a place in Ipswich where a guy who was just hated me because I did a joke about having a man crush and he must have been homophobic or something because he was just fuming fuming <laughs> from the minute I started talking about it and then I thought that was funny so then I just started picking on him trying to find out if he had any man crush and he was so like one of those militantly straight that he could never fathom the idea of having like, a crush like, oh, 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 I've never fancied a man in my life and then like, I was like yeah alright come on mate you know when you're flicking through the telly well, you know, and you see a guy on there which one do you leave on a little bit too long like, and he's like no Oh, no, no. and he's looking at his wife like protesting a little bit too strongly yeah but then I said to this other guy sat three rows back I was like what about you mate you got a man crush he went yeah Jason Statham in Death Race he does his finger he lifts himself up and twists his abs around and I was like right see there's what I've done there about having a man crush and then you specifically <laughs> really getting turned on by Jason Statham but that's okay you could talk about that it's fine <laughs> but yeah but, so, but half of the audience was just like these these farmers who just could not get it like in their head they just thought it was Brokeback Mountain or something it's like it's okay for a dude to say he finds a dude attractive there's nothing yeah, wrong yeah. 
but yeah they're too a, worried about what like what their mates are going to think of them yeah yeah and that's like, what happens because it started like that I think I did that uh, I remember there was one woman howling very loudly all the way through the set and probably the rest of the 50 people just looking at me going this guy needs to get off stage it's not how we rock around it mm. um, and that was the and that was the night after the comedy store you drive back in a comedy store going this is it I love this there's yeah. nothing better and then the <laughs> driving back from Ipswich on a Sunday night going I got work at 5.30 tomorrow morning and uh, this is what I chose to do on my Sunday night this is terrible like so yeah it's it's always uh, it gives and it takes <laughs> yeah well yeah that's it um, and that's the worst thing isn't it you do like you kill a gig and then the next day you're, you're performing to a couple of people yeah and and you know just... it's a cliche but you're only as good as your last gig and I think it's the same with everything you know it's if you know yeah if that's why like this year with like so when we did the Cambridge Fringe last year I had a show there and um, sold out and it was a good show and the day went well and all the rest of it but I know I kind of got away with it because when I'd entered the show my life was in a different place to where it was when the show was coming out so there was a lot of stuff I didn't really want to still do the same jokes or talk yeah, about so yeah. I rewrote a lot of that show sort of the week leading up to it because I was like I don't really want to talk about like an ex and we've just broken up in the last couple of months don't want to talk mm. about this don't want to talk about that so I thought I'd just try and make it current I thought it's not fair on her to talk about her when she's no longer with me and stuff like that and you think well actually just have a clean break just do something different um, you know so last year I'd say that a lot of that wasn't tried and tested but the, it was a cracking day I had great feedback everyone enjoyed it um, so, but I always very much saw that as I got away with that a bit because <laughs> if if twenty minutes of that had been pants out of a fifty minute show, like that's a tough day for everybody. They've wasted their time more than anything. It was a lovely day. So this year, I've worked a, you know worked really hard for probably the bulk of the year, just you know making sure it's right, making sure the yeah. show's how I want it to be, and all the rest of it. Yeah. So when so when this goes out, um, the Cambridge Fringe Festival would have already happened. But are you taking this um, your show, Bad Guy, to anywhere else? I think so yeah I, I kind of I didn't really commit to anything other than the Cambridge Fringe because I thought if it's not a show I'm going to enjoy doing I won't take it anywhere because you know there's no one up and down the country demanding I take my show there so it's more <laughs> about me getting it how I want it to be and if I'm enjoying doing it I think people like it then I'll, I'll kind of do it independently and take yeah. it where I want really yeah and, and you might be able to like you know if you, I mean you've nearly sold out your um your show haven't you yeah I mean as of today I'd always sit today Tuesday there's five t- you know I'm in the 75 seater and there's five left so, yeah, so I'm, I mean I'm happy with that potentially if you go and then book a book a small room and take that to different cities around the country you could just do your own I mean, I have a couple of your well I don't know yeah I don't I mean I'm not getting carried away I think because of uh, Big Deal and obviously I've been the MC for the majority of those since it started um, you know I've been quite lucky and there's been a lot of really nice feedback and I think there's been quite a few people from those gigs that have seen yeah. me that wanted to come to the show so obviously I'm not going to have that in other towns so if I did go somewhere I'd have to be just realistic you might have a place where three people will take a punt on you and then another place where it might sell out you know so you just don't know but um, I think that's the same with anybody see some great names at the Cambridge Fringe coming up and I've got no doubt they'll be full on the day but the tickets have been slow to go to begin with you know and yeah because um, they're not locals yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. so I, I know a lot of it's down to being local and the fact I'm quite I've, especially the last six seven months have been very visible locally gigging a lot locally and trying mm. to create something for myself and um yeah and uh, so I, mean, I think that helps i think i think you just i think you're being too too modest man i think i think if you did a couple of gigs running up to like a show maybe a month before wherever you are say st Albans or something get your name out there get on the radio hopefully yeah i do i mean i think you're right i think that's the right template to do it i think you've got to try and get out there enough people see you it's because everyone can say they're a great comedian or they're good <laughs> or they'll give you a good hour or, you know of comedy and but then we've all seen it go the other way so I think we've got to 
I think you need to be visible. It's all you can yeah. do. All you yeah. can do is just be out and about and let people see your jokes. And if they like you, give them other options to come see you or listen to you. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm also trying to be a storytelling comedian. Yeah. Some some oh, it's probably usually just a bit observational, but I'm trying to do storytelling as well. And I just wondered if you have any like tips for any comedians that are coming in just starting out. You just wanna you just wanna tell stories and stuff. Again, I think like. Again, by no, you know, there's there's a massive ladder of these comedians and who's great and who's you know working away. I and mean, I'm I'm still very low on that ladder myself. And everything's a gradual process. You just got to get comfortable within yourself. I think, you know, we obviously you came and did Novi last month, though, I'd say. So, I think the first thing to do is kind of work out about delivery because it could be the greatest story in the world, but if you're not telling it right or it's not quite or you're not, you know, making enough of a thing out of it with your voice as you talk, every little bit matters and. You know, learning how to be on stage as well. Like, it sounds really basic, but you know, when I started, I was always looking at the floor, shuffling around because I didn't want to make eye contact with anyone. And and then they're not going to invest in it as much because they know you're not confident. Right? Yeah. Um, so I'd say initially, it's just get comfortable being there, get comfortable with the material, and play around with the delivery. If you've done a joke five times exactly the same way, and you're convinced there's something funny in there, change the way you deliver it. It might not be the writing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, write. You know, write write the story down. <laughs> pinpoint what you think the punchline is you know a lot of what I'll do is I might not write things fully formed but I write write a short version of it in a in a whatsapp and bung it to two or three mates and if they come back going well, I don't get it then I know that I've gone something wrong if they go I'll get a lot of actually because of the way you tell it it makes all the difference I'll get a lot of um, friends going that's not really a bit it's funny but it's not really a bit and I go well oh, it okay. will be by the time you see it on stage but I'll just work and seeing if that bit works yeah 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 so you just need to know there's something there like I had a little bit um, that I've been doing just a sort of a throwaway comment on stage and I've really probably added another couple of minutes to that now like whereas oh, okay. it was just a throwaway comment I thought and it just couldn't get out I was like that gets a nice little laugh but I know there's more to that yeah 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 you know so you don't have to be in a rush to get that fully formed. I never have been you know yeah. it's a little bit different when you've got the show coming up because there's a deadline but I mean the last two years the reason I've signed up to do the Cambridge Fringe isn't because I was desperate to go and do a load of festivals it's because I'll have to write Yes, I can't just yes, go right yes, I've got yes. a 20 I'll go do my 20 everywhere I've got to write I've got to do it because I even if no one from last year comes to this year's show there won't be one joke that I did last year that's in this year's show No, because true. just for me it doesn't mean when I go to a club or come and you know do bridge or whatever I won't do material I've done before um, no. but in that show I'm like right force yourself to write something and I think that's a important step first time for me to just same with the reason I signed up for the hour first time when I was still doing one liners it was like I didn't need that many one liners and probably a lot of them didn't replace what was already in my 10 which is probably what I was doing predominantly around then 10 middle 10s for people yeah yeah um but it was like right just force can I do this can I write this you know and the thing is you'll be I think if you're going to go and do new material places, do new material. Like, obviously, everyone does it's the a, thing. It's a wasted opportunity if you, if you Yeah, and I, yeah. I did it for years where you turn up at somewhere and you go, well, it's actually quite busy tonight. Maybe I'll just do the old solid gold and, and yeah, try yeah. and take the ego. But actually, you just... Then you'll turn up at a room with there's six people and you'll go, oh, there's not, not enough people trying new material. I won't know if it's any good. Whereas so you'll never do it. <laughs> actually, the thing is, go, right, you know... It's pretty obvious, but put a couple of minutes in that you know works just to get them calm, then play around with it in the middle and then finish on something strong, you know? Yeah. And try and use that time. Have you got an elimination process? Have you got something that you will try once or another time? Have you got like, how many times have you tried a bit before you say For me, you know it's what? more if it feels right saying it. Like, if I know there's something to it or I feel there's something to it, I've got to a point where 
because I'm very much like, it's not that much of an exaggerated version of me on stage now. So like, I which is really of, important actually in, in comedy is that yeah, if you if you're not going to play a character, be yourself because yeah, and I think whether you mean to or not, it isn't the start of you. It's always what you the and the people who know me and the people who've seen me MC and all that they know that if I'm telling you a story about me shooting someone down in a pub or saying something stupid like I probably did it like there's no like mystery whereas someone said to me um, about some one liners when I changed the stories one of my mates who'd been to a lot of gigs he said I like what you do now because it's believable and I went what do you mean he goes when you would tell those one liners it'd be like that never happened and he's like, well, obviously it never happened. He's like, yeah, yeah, but we knew it never happened, so I think that takes forever. Whereas when you're saying, oh, I've gone to this place and a stupid thing happened and I made it worse, they're like, that's totally believable because you're an idiot. And I'm like, yeah, I like that. It's a, it's a skill when you're coming. It's handy being an idiot when you've got, <laughs> when you've got material yeah. to write, you know? That's true. And I think that's why, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it with everyone, but you judge your audience whether you're in a shop or, in a, or whether you're doing a gig. But for me personally, I'm always like, What's the worst that'll happen if I say that out loud? Like, <laughs> that's true, yeah. I mean, it's a bit difficult when you have a Monday to Friday office job. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. difficult. And I was a retail manager for a long, long time. So, you know, when you're a retail manager, you can't be at the counter going, oh, yeah, you're a knobhead, I'm going to tell you why. Because you'll be out of a job within an hour. Like, So it is it is difficult. But If, if anything, co- uh, comedy offers you a place to just say all that shit. You'd love to yeah, say you'd love to. Yeah, you'd love to. I saw a meme or something a while ago saying every person who works in retail should have one day a week where they can just say what they want. I thought the <laughs> whole country would would just implode like because <laughs> the, the the thing that also like makes me when i've talked about formerly working in retail and stuff on stage now where i'm not doing it the the look on some people's faces where they're like i can't believe they think about us like that because they've never worked in retail they just go in there and they're the dickhead or they're the yeah, person yeah, who's yeah. rude because they're like well you're on you know it's, it's all right if you're a manager but if you're a 17 year old on a 12-hour contract you're not earning a lot of money and they treat them like they're not earning a lot of money whereas it's not right you know i don't like it so um but you know i went went go to grab something to eat the other night um i can't remember where it was now one of the italian chain ones got to the door and the guy who worked there just walked up and just shrugged i never said a word and i was like well i'll give you three guesses he's like all right do you want a table and i was like yeah <laughs> like obviously what do you think i'm here for and then then i was just furious because yeah, i was yeah, like yeah. when i was in retail and it didn't matter how stupid you i'd be polite to you then he sat me down he's like do you want a drink i said like, yeah and some food as well is that all right is that, you know, i <laughs> kind of thought you'd just take it from here is that all right mate and he was like all right and he's really put out and i'm like Someone said to me, he's like, he's definitely spitting in your food. I said, I don't think he could be asked. I don't think he's actually got that much dedication. Like, he probably didn't know where the kitchen was. Uh, if he was a bit more wound up, but like, it just, he looked like I'd just walked into his living room with a clipboard trying to get his opinion on something. Like, yeah, it just makes you wonder with some people. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with whatever job you do. And I worked in retail for a long time at every level. It doesn't matter what you do or what you're getting paid. Just do your best at it. And it's the same with stand up, like, trying to be good at it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. That one, a little rant on retail always sets me off. That's fine, yeah. I mean, I, I worked um, as a general manager in hospitality for years as well. And it so you've just... wanted to, like, donkey kick a load of people. Then, really. Yeah, mate, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst thing in the world. Like, people want their coffee and they want it yesterday, and particularly working in Cambridge. Like, yeah, yeah. People Cambridge. don't want coffee now. They want it, they want it in five minutes or ten well, minutes. They want it now. Well, with this going out after the fringe, I haven't got to worry about a load of people putting it out. But, he, um, yeah, we used to have this term in, so when I was a salesman in particular, you used to have a term specifically for Cambridge. I've been a manager all over. Um, you know, I've been Peterborough, Bedford, Harlow, all over, but Cambridge specifically, no matter what company we've got a term of where you've got backpack wankers. 
Yeah. They're the people who rock up with a cycle clip, their backpack. They'll come and measure the thing 12 times. They've got 150 questions for the cheapest item there. Yeah. They'll talk to you like a moron when you don't know the, you know, the molecular construction of this sofa or whatever it is. <laughs> and then, then they'll try and, like, you know, try and get it down to the lowest price possible. But it's only Cambridge that happens. And like I said, I used to affectionately refer to them as backpack wankers. So you can use that. Backpack wankers. <laughs> Wait, I'll go back. I'll get a part-time job in the cafe I worked in just to call someone a backpack wanker. I'd say if I won the lottery, I reckon I'd just go get a job in a shop, like just and for a month, just to go, cool, I'll, you know, I've got the money to settle this out of court now, but yeah. I'm going to have a real good time. Do you know the, the other <laughs> thing about these big chains, though, is not just that, it's also the company structure. So when you get into these, they sell you this, this whole um, shit about how you can progress through the company and it's a really good career progression. And they, they literally, they'll plan it out step by step, right? And you'll be like, oh, this is fucking amazing. By the end of like, a couple of years, I'd be on 40 grand. And you get into that job, and then you realise that it's all a big lie. Yeah, that's what happened. It used to be, well, not funny, but like the last company I worked for probably was, I won't name them, but yeah. So I went in as a branch manager, so obviously you're on, you know, half day, you just kind of told them what you wanted to be paid, and if you were lucky, that's what they paid you, and you took the job. So, but then over the years I was there, they developed where people had to. So you start as a part-timer, right? Now we're going to put you on a training course to become a supervisor. Now we're going to do yes. this to train you up to be an assistant manager. Now you're going to try and train you up to be a branch manager. So they were having to do these qualifications as an assistant manager to get qualified as a branch yeah. manager. But they were having to do a qualification that I didn't have, even though it was me that signed off <laughs> because I was already there. <laughs> and then because of the way they staggered it then, they would get paid dramatically less money because it would only go up in a percentage increase as opposed to you came in at a better number. But... Yeah, boring. But yeah, you're right. It's just, uh, you can see why they're disillusioned when they've done 50 hours that week, walk in, some fat dude walks up like, yeah, I want a pizza. It's like, and then, and then, And then the day you wake up, you're like, fuck this. What the fuck have I been doing for the last six years? But the thing is, though, is that you can have a lot of fun there, but I think a lot of those kind of jobs are the camaraderie. I think that is one of the things that, you know, I miss about a day job is that the people you would see every day, because good or bad, it gave you... Material. Material, yeah. plus your brain's firing a bit more. Like, I'm terrible. I, I'm, I'm productive until I've spent too long on my own. The more time I have on my own, I, I just will. I don't do anything. Yeah. Like, it just shuts down. My brain goes, that's not bother. Whereas if I'm huh. talking to someone, I'll be having two, three other ideas, and then you can start going and doing stuff. Like, I need to kind of be busy, otherwise I don't seem to be able to create anything, but... People might say I don't create anything anyway, but you know, either way. <laughs> I, I, I sort of missed it, though. I, I, I probably would get a part-time job just for the material. The stuff I saw as a cafe manager was incredible. Like, like honestly, I, there's bits I've written about how um, I remember Rendicule coming out right, right. To, to do like a, an inspection on pests. Right? And, and they went to, they knocked on the women's toilets to do the, to do the test in there. And the door wasn't locked, and went in there, and the the a girl was there sitting on the toilet eating a fruit pot <laughs> on the <laughs> toilet, right? and and we wondered why we had fruit flies. People are just discarding bits of fruit in. I used in a to toilet. work. I used to work. I don't know if you remember MFI. I was an old yeah, kitchen yeah. Department. Is it gone now? Is it? Yeah, a long time ago. Oh, yeah, well, I was a, originally I was a kitchen designer there, and um, we used to have this, this just like a phantom pool. You'd go in the toilet, and there'd be. It just sounds disgusting, but there'd be a, there'd be a poo left and no toilet roll, but there'd just be a Mars bar wrapper in there randomly. You're like, <laughs> what is he? <laughs> <laughs> 
putting him like sorting both ends out at the same time yeah. <laughs> or like not yeah. wiping and then just dropping yeah. a wrap and it always I don't know it was just madness it was just yeah. this weird thing we all knew it was but yeah we couldn't say anything but it was just yeah, it was the most <laughs> random thing like yeah people are disgusting yeah. and again showrooms with fake toilets in it how many parents let their child have a shit and then just let them leave and don't say anything because they think you're going to make really? them clear it up I, I used to think Horrible, about doing yeah. that as a kid I thought it'd be funny but kids do it yeah it. kids do it really and there was no greater shit. moment than when I got to manager and I didn't have to be the one who was like right now I'm not even going to pretend I haven't seen it I'll just tell someone else to clean it but like, I, ne- I never cleaned one but yeah people have tried to get me to do it I'm like yeah. <laughs> I feel like I caused you more problems if I just walked out now to be fair so, probably yeah. lose my that's the thing when you're like 19 years old you've got a steaming hangover on a Sunday and you know, someone's going oh Jay uh, kid's shit in one of the spray toilets so, good for you mate like, clean think- it up or go home cool I'll go home I'm hanging I'll see you later. no I didn't mean that like, yeah I didn't really have the level of investment in that in that career at that time to be like I'm not going to deal with that yeah and that is why we go do comedy <laughs> yeah it's a, and yeah everything's a job you know it all becomes a job after a while no matter what you do like you find a room full of comedians and they're predominantly moaning about stuff. Like, I, I know I'm terrible for it. Everybody else is, I think. But you just... A job's a job at the end of the day. But the difference with this job is you get out 10, 20, 30 minutes on stage, whatever you're doing. And it, it, I don't want to make it sound cheesy and say it makes it all worthwhile. But, you know, on a good night, there's nothing better. You had a night when everyone's in the palm of your hand. Everyone's had a good time. Because they go out, they have a great time. Uh, then they carry on the night after you've finished. <laughs> like we drive to the middle of nowhere on our own, listening yeah. to probably a podcast, maybe this one, I don't know. Yeah. And then I might, you know, I'm a narcissist, but um, I'll listen to this podcast, it'd be fine. But <laughs> yeah, so you go all the way there, you sit out the back in a little cut in a broom cupboard for a couple of hours, walk out, do 20 minutes, hopefully make their night better, and then you just do the same, like do the reverse on the way home, yeah, don't yeah. you? <laughs> it's like, you know, everyone's like, oh, it must be brilliant. It's like, it's quite lonely a lot of the time, isn't it? It can be, yeah, it can be. That's why it's nice when you've got, like, there's kind of a bit of a community building up around, like, you know, Cambridge well, and Ipswich we had it and Norwich. Hard, didn't we? We're getting it back again now. Yeah, yeah. I think these things go in sort of peaks and troughs, isn't it? People come and go and new things start yeah. up and fall apart and all that kind of stuff. So it's nice now. There's a lot of people kind of communicating and throwing each other little spots. Like, now I need to do new material or whatever. I know there's three or four people I can message, and nine times out of ten, I'm there, someone's going to find space for me, which is really yeah. nice, and I'll try and do it my end as well. So, um, yeah, it's nice like that because let's face it not every, I mean the re, half of the reason started Big Deal really was because I didn't want to have to be reliant on everybody else I wanted to be able to create my own yeah, yeah. thing you know I was talking to a great comedian called Rich Wilson and he was saying um, somebody had told him like the, the circuit's dead and he was like no, it's not dead it's just changed and I think you know, I yeah, get yeah. the impression like, that you used to be able to make a very good living by knowing about five people whereas yeah. now you need to know everybody like there's well, yeah, a lot the difficulty is I, asked, um, I know Rich Wilson he performed at Nessie's uh, Wine Gums uh, brilliant I'd say he's one of the best out there yeah, yes, he's, you should listen to his podcast if you haven't already yeah he's brilliant um, I, I'm hopefully going to get him on the podcast yeah, yeah. Um, anyway yeah he's, he's also brilliant I mean he, you know, he said that to me that it was that what's happened is that ticket prices haven't gone up so like the, the, the spread of money is a little bit a bit slimmer than it it's was. There's so many more acts now. It's yeah. so accessible to everybody. Like, when I remember even, what, like nine years ago when my mate mentioned doing a night. I wasn't even on Facebook before I did comedy, and it was like, when well, then you realise that's kind of the only way to get older people quickly and spot yeah. gigs at a, at a glance and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, it's. Um, yeah, the way it's changed is so many acts now. If I put a message out right now saying we've got a gig in this room in the next half hour, I'll have at least 10 people message yeah, for that's it. True. 
you know, and, and, that's, and it's great in some respects, but then the other problem with that is, is you, it's difficult with quality control because you'll have a lot of people that, you know, they're just not there yet. Like, it doesn't mean they're not going to be. It just means right now. Mm. And if you promote, you've got to know your rooms. Like, I know some rooms are tougher than others that we run, um, and not because they're t- bad audiences. Maybe they're just a bit of quiet ones. Like, you've got those people that kind of don't laugh out loud, but they'll, you know, they're having a good time. Mm. And if Put you're a new you put a microphone in the audience you'll probably hear them but yeah yeah but then with a new act that'll, that'll throw them off and I've seen it the, the inexperience makes them think it's going badly where actually the audience having a great time it's just not a loud audience though, isn't it? Yeah. whereas other ones they just go with everything and every room's different you know and I think the experience is what you need over time to get used to doing those different rooms and and no walking into one room that this bit doesn't work here as opposed to what it does in other places yeah, you yeah. know um but yeah, again, that's the whole point of Big Deal really was like, instead of being beholden to, I mean, I don't, I mean, I remember spending a long time trying to get in with Jonglers when they were a the big thing and I just, you know, a friend of mine gave me the email and I'd email every week and send them a clip and blah, 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 and then nothing, 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 nothing. And they had their kind of acts they rotated and then when that went pop, you just see everybody was owed so much money, like, you know, that's real people's lives, that's families that are going yeah, without yeah, food yeah. and stuff, all that kind of stuff, you know, and I thought, well, actually... It'd be amazing to be part because those gigs are nice to do and all these, you know, the the big ones in London and stuff like that. I just thought, wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have to rely on that? That's true. If I can yeah. create my own yeah. thing, I'll bring those acts to me and I'll bring them to local people and I'll bring them to local towns. And and you've definitely got a following for Big Deal as well. It's a, it's, it's been really, yeah. Club. I mean, in sp- the time of, you know, the first gig was the end of September last year and in that time, yeah, it's gone cra- it's crazy, really. You know, every day there's a different inquiry about a different place. And then, we're, you know, we're at a stage now where it's like, bit like i was saying earlier about um you know new promoters we're right now at the point where what's actually going will it harm the brand to take this gig on or what you know we want people to know their nice nights that's yeah. why people turn up at the gigs because they're hearing good things you know you put yes. on a few too many bad nights and it'll happen eventually you know or, or a slow seller or, or 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 just you know a night where it didn't quite work for it for whatever reason it will happen at some point because you can't avoid these things but if you do that one too many times, you won't get away with it for that long, you know, because yeah, there's, there's a lot of other stuff to be out there to, to be. And then actually a lot of people, a lot of reasons not even to leave your house now. Yeah, so if I've true. actually got people yeah. to leave their house and come to a comedy night, last thing I want to do is be the reason why they don't do that anymore. So yeah, there's a, I feel a pressure to kind of make sure the lineups are good and I do a good job emceeing and everybody's tracked nicely. And, you know, like at the, um, I just won't go out afterwards, but at the, um, Cambridge Fringe show we're doing a thing where um, everybody's reserved because obviously it's free to reserve your tickets every every seat will have a uh, we'll, we'll basically we'll have a drinks token on it for when they're next at a big deal gig so they'll get a oh, free okay, drink lovely. on me just to say thanks for coming um, and it's the little things like that we try and look after it when when we spot my sister runs the bar and all that kind of stuff when we spot someone who's been to a few in a row we'll always sort their ticket you know we give them free tickets to the next show yeah, yeah, yeah. or we'll give them a free drink or Leanne does testimony because they all bring friends to the next one and they'll tell so, friends yeah and it. even that like you know it's only money at the end of the day and you know if it's if you make a little bit less money but someone goes oh what they didn't have to do that but they did like, yeah. I think that's all about that service you know and Leanne does this testimonial Tuesday so anybody she uses for that they get free tickets to a show of their yeah, choice yeah, yeah. and I think it's just about trying to build things and trying to build a community with it really so you're gonna you're gonna be obviously very busy promoting for a big deal and stuff but in terms of comedy what, what have you got planned for the next year I think like kind of want to see uh, I mean Big Deal sort of not runs itself obviously it's only booking lineups and stuff like that um, I think the next project yeah I've got a few things that I want to do whether I can make them work or not is different I wrote a film with a friend last year and 
it's one of those things where I keep saying we're going to get it done and get it made and um, and to be honest I've been so distracted with other stuff I've done very little towards making that happen so I think that I'd like to make that a project next beyond stand up um, and just and again just because why not you know I'll make the film I want to make and if people like it they're great if they don't they don't you know I just put <laughs> out what I liked and what I thought I'd do and probably learn a lot from it but yeah um, that's that's the ideal thing I'd like to do in the next 12 months but um, again there's a lot of moving parts to try and make something like that work so I have to say um, yeah obviously we've got the radio show at 105 um, which again is all about trying to bring comedians to, to the public that they don't know about right, so we don't advertise Jimmy Carr's show at the Corn Exchange mm. or any of that kind of stuff we, we're only talking about you know we advertise wine gums as well as Big Deal and Custard and Bridge Comedy and all the rest of it yeah, going yeah. on around Cambridge just because it's not you know it's not just about Big Deal it's about just getting people out of the house it's, if if 50 people turn up at your gig in the next couple of weeks and you've had a cracking night like I'm not bothered if 30 turn up at mine the week after no like, it's no. about once these people are out and they get a taste for it if the lineups are good and they have a good time they'll keep coming back right because it's That's a cheap true. night out it's a good night out so I think yeah if we kind of work together and everybody's happy make sure everybody's putting out a good product then you know it's only going to benefit everybody in the long term yeah, right yeah. So that was Jason Stamp. What an amazing conversation that was. Do run over to his website, bigdealcomedy.co.uk, and check out any of those gigs that he runs in and around Cambridge. I believe you can also follow him on the social medias at Mr. Stamp. Um, all of that information will be in the episode notes. A couple of updates from me. This podcast is going live. I'm going to be doing live recordings with professional comedians, hopefully a couple of TV names in the future. At the end of September, Monday the 30th of September, I'm going to be interviewing the fantastic Rich Wilson. And how the night's going to go, there's, there's going to be a bit of MCing from me, a semi-pro pro comedian from uh, doing a middle 10 spot, and then there's going to be a 30-minute exclusive performance from Rich Wilson himself, and then we're going to have an exclusive live episode in front of a live audience. It's only going to be £7. You're going to get an unforgettable night and all the information of how you can purchase tickets and all that sort of stuff are going to be in the show notes don't forget to run over to my website lukeantonycomedy.co.uk forward slash tco podcast if you want to become a patron of this podcast there will be extra features and everything and unheard bits that will be only for patrons so do run over to that and become a patron if you're interested in getting some extra content and um, also in in terms of like me and stuff what i'm doing i'm still obviously gigging doing the stand-up comedy writing material for that performing all over the place and but i'm also writing a sitcom called hello there it's inspired by my late grandfather it's, it's a hilarious story about about some of the things you used to say and do um i can't really give too much away about it just yet but i'm, I'm currently writing the pilot episode that i'm gonna try and get solicited and sent off to all different platforms um to see if i can get that commissioned and 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 everything so that's what's going on in my world do come along to any of my gigs check out the website the, the loads of gigs on there follow me on twitter at luke comedian again all the information is in the show notes all you have to do is just scroll down a bit and you'll see them there my next episode is the wonderfully bubbly katie pritchard she's a really really great comedian she's a bundle full of energy on stage and she's so unique compared to any other comedian that i've ever seen but i think you're really going to enjoy this conversation she's a great person to hang out with that's going to be next week Tune in then. Thank you so much for listening and speak to you soon. Ciao. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars, careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. 
Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member, which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.